2: Hey everybody, happy Halloween, and welcome back to From Complex of Screams, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Oh, really? I am Steve Saipa and I'm joined this week by Bukis Vlahos, oh. frank hen stein and Thomas <laughs> Helderson. Yes. Um, yes. What's wrong? What's not. wrong, Bukis? You sound... Uh, Alright. Uh, okay. Alright. <laughs>
1: I'm not gonna lie to you. When you first did it, I was like, "He really messed that up." But we're just, I guess, we're just gonna power through it. And then I realized <laughs> it was just...
3: when uh, it wasn't Peeves, the name of that, the poltergeist in Harry Potter. Anyway, I I do not condone the, the, these puns.
2: Uh,
3: they're hmm. pre- they're pretty bad, Steve. I'm
2: sorry. <laughs> I, I put a lot of time and effort into this. Uh
3: huh. No, but but puns being bad is a compliment. If puns aren't bad, what are, what are you even doing?
2: That is true. That's yeah, the point, right? That yes. yeah, is very yes. true. All right, so we have a Halloween-themed promote-extend trade, kind of, kind of. Um, I think that the most iconic um, Halloween monster is Dracula, Halloween villain, whatever you want to call it. Sure. And more so than Max Shrek or Bella Lugosi, I think Dracula is synonymous with one man christopher lee
3: oh yeah
2: so christopher lee is an extremely interesting man and i'm sure that we are going to digress into other christopher lee related tangents momentarily after this but what christopher lee facts are we going to promote extend or trade because again he was a really interesting guy (laughs) so yes i I
3: love this so much steve christopher uh, lee is like the ultimate badass
2: he is uh, Christopher Lee, factoid number one. He received starring credits in Eugene, a story of her journey into perversion, which was a British softcore porn film based on the book by the Marquis de Sant. <laughs> mm-hmm. True story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> factoid number two. Christopher Lee is the son of Countess Estelle Marie Carandini de Sarzano. Whose family lineage can be traced back to Charlemagne. True, completely true. It's a good
3: one.
2: Chris- Christopher Lee, factoid number three. He recorded not one, not yes. two, not three, you not one. four. He recorded five heavy metal albums, all in his nineties. <laughs> Just the so, coolest dude. Yeah.
3: Uh, he's the best the The porn one is got is just so ridiculous that it's <laughs> incredible but the heavy metal one is also just awesome
1: it's also like impressive mm-hmm. physically to do that <laughs> yeah he was so old at the time yeah
3: i can't believe you didn't you didn't even include the like somewhat infamous story from lord of the rings where uh in the extended cut, he gets sta- – he plays Saruman, for those of you who don't know. He gets stabbed in the back at one point, and on the DVD extras, Peter Jackson describes telling him, yeah, when you get stabbed in the back, I want you to scream, and then, and then we'll do blah, blah, blah. And Christopher Lee says, have you ever actually seen someone stabbed in the back? Because I have, (laughs) and they don't scream, they just kind of, because all the air comes out of their lungs, and that's what he does in the movie, and if that doesn't encapsulate just how great a guy this dude is, uh, I don't know what does.
2: Yeah, I guess bonus Christopher Lee factoid number four was that he volunteered in the Finnish Army in World War II, and then after that, he volunteered in the British Army, and he worked for the OSS, the uh, British Intelligence Division, doing spy things. And he may or may not have killed a man. You're right. He may or
3: may he may or may not have been the inspiration for James Bond.
2: Yeah. Which I guess uh, another uh, factoid is that he was Ian Fleming's cousin, and he was in James Bond. He was the man with the golden gun, of course.
1: Just an impossibly cool guy. But yes, the porn thing has got to (laughs) be.
2: Yeah. So apparently he was he he did the narration and he did not know what he was doing the narration of.
1: And it turned out to <laughs> that's
2: he, so funny. <laughs> I love. I did, Lee. I did not know that he was legitimate like royalty. Yep. Yeah, I didn't know that either. That, yep. I found that out today. Pretty cool.
3: I mean, that's a, like being related to Charlemagne is awesome on its own, and it's also the worst fact here by a wide margin, <laughs> which yeah. is just incredible. <laughs>
2: It's like oh or For everyone else,
1: show. that's, like, the coolest thing about them.
3: Yep. Everyone else <laughs> okay. goes to a party and leads with the fact that they're related to Charlemagne, and that's, like, 17th on the list of cool Christopher Lee things.
2: <laughs> well, one one more cool thing that Christopher Lee did is play Count Dooku in Star Wars, and that was a, a good show that came out this week. Oh, good-bye. yes.
3: Ken, I'm sorry we're doing this to you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all good.
3: Um, If you're a Star Wars person, go watch Tales of the Jedi ASAP. It was absolutely incredible. Like, the Ahsoka episodes were good, and uh, Dooku's fall to the dark side was some of the best Star Wars media, I think, that has come out. And there's been a lot of good stuff that's come out in recent times.
1: It also does a good job of, like, because I don't like the prequels. I'm one of, I, I just don't really care about them at all. But Fair. there's interesting people and interesting things that you could do from them. And this mm-hmm. is this is a proof of that, you know, like just because the movies are bad doesn't mean that you should just forget that they exist in that way, because you could there's still a lot of ways you could um make good stuff with it. And they did with with Tales of the Jedi.
2: Yep, don't disagree.
3: Do You know, I do have one question, though. And, and spoilers for people who haven't seen it, obviously. Um, wh- y- y- why does Yaddle not speak like Yoda? Or alternatively, why does Yoda speak like he does if Yaddle could speak like a normal human being?
1: <laughs> I like the idea that Yoda's just weird. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> this whole time we thought that's just how all of his species talk, but he's just a weird little dude. No, he's just a weirdo. He's, he, he, he's just a weird little man who lives in a, who lives in a swamp. So... they're all like what's wrong with this dude (laughs) there's a great robot uh, uh,
3: chicken sketch from it must have been like 2006 or 7 like around a long time ago where uh, it, they're spoofing the Battle of Geonosis, and one of the clone, clones clones, <laughs> crouches down next to Yoda, in the gunship was like, look, man, we're in a battle situation. Could you, like, try to communicate in a normal way? To which Yoda says, you've given me a lot to think about, and, and reflects on the <laughs> fact that he talks like a fucking weirdo. <laughs> anyway, Tales of the Jedi, very good.
2: Yep. In yes.
3: Filoni, I trust forever.
1: Just Please stop making movies. Make just these things. Yep. Yep. Because I don't care about the movies.
3: Nope. Andor also very good if people have uh, not seen it. Yes,
1: Andor's very good. Yep.
3: Alright, we're done. You're safe.
2: <laughs> Alright, so back to baseball. Back to the AFL. And um, Javelinas are in week four now. And the Mets contingent of uh, Had some up and downs this week. So Stanley Consuegra is hitting 217, 269, 565 in 23 at-bats over seven games with two doubles, two homers, one walk, and nine strikeouts. So this week he added a couple of hits, one of which was a home run. So good, I guess. Uh, Kevin Kendall, he is hitting 250, 391, 339 in 56 at-bats over 16 games with two doubles, a homer. Three stolen bases, 10 walks, and 15 strikeouts. So this week he added a few hits, but overall it was a down week for him. A couple of overs, a lot of strikeouts. Brandon McElwain, McElwain, excuse me, is hitting 175, 233, 325 in 40 at-bats over 11 games with a double, triple, homer, stolen base, and two walks to 14 strikeouts. So he also had a down week this week. And Luke Ritter is hitting 135, 239, 297 in 37 at-bats over 12 games with two home runs and six walks to 14 strikeouts. He actually had a great week this week. <laughs> Finally, he showed some life. He, he, he had a couple of hits. He had hit two home runs, a bunch of walks.
1: So That just goes to show the sample sizes we're working with.
2: Yeah. I mean, literally, it's like 10 at-bats a week, basically it's coming out to. um looking at pitchers now grand hartwig he has appeared in seven games and he has a 10 era and in nine innings with 15 hits allowed four walks and eight strikeouts and he was basically disastrous this week he doubled his um earned run allowed he doubled his hits allowed he doubled the walks allowed basically everything got multiplied in less than two innings or so uh, Franklin Sanchez. He's appeared in five games and he has an 11.81 ERA in 5.1 innings, with seven hits allowed, five walks, and four strikeouts. He also had a poor week. He gave up a couple runs. For Christian Scott. He had another stinker this week, and he's now appeared in four games, all well four of them starts, and he has a 10.38 ERA in 13 innings with 27 hits allowed, three walks, and 10 strikeouts. Mike Vassell, on the other hand, he had a decent start. Um, he's appeared in four games now in total, three of them were starts, and he has a 3.65 ERA in 12.1 innings with eight hits allowed, eight walks, and 13 strikeouts. And he's been working on attackers a- attacking hitters early and getting into more favorable counts, which is good. But you know, this still. Uh, some work to do there with his command because eight walks in twelve point one innings ain't great. No. no. Josh Josh Walker he has appeared in six games, and he has a three thirty eight ERA in eight innings with seven hits loud four walks, and ten strikeouts. He had two scoreless outings this week. Uh, gave up a couple of hits, a couple of walks, but he struck out a bunch of guys, so not bad week for him. So that's the AFL. Uh, this week, as we mentioned, you know, don't put too much stock into the numbers. AFLs for players to just kind of get a little more experience, get a little more playing time, work on things, whatever. Like like yeah. Mike Vassell has mentioned, he's been working to try to get into more favorable counts earlier on. So, you know, that might mean throwing more fastballs down the middle in, you know, in at bats early on and that could result in more hits you know so you just he's experimenting all these guys kind of are yeah obviously we want to see more good than bad but you know whatever at
1: the end of the day if they suck in the afl but they figured out something i'd take that yeah
2: it's it's not the surface numbers that are important it's the the stuff that goes into those those numbers
3: not the de- it's not the destination, it's the journey. Yes, exactly. Of the AFL.
2: <laughs> exactly. The that should be the tagline for the AFL. Wonderful
3: Arizona. <laughs> I don't know, actually, I've never been to Arizona, so.
2: I, can't, I, I can't don't, comment. I have not been there either. I know someone that moved there for a while. It was very hot and the Scorpions, so. I believe
3: they also Doesn't have really. Black Widow Spiders, if you, you, you know, just add that to the list of things.
2: Yeah, so. I don't see the appeal. <laughs>
3: no, I don't. I don't quite get it either. I am a little. No, uh, not to bel- labor too long on this point, but Grant Hartwig was one of the, like one of the only guys I was interested to see what he did, and I'm a little disappointed. But I'm assuming he's just exhausted because he pitched a lot this year. So.
2: Yeah, he started the year in St. Lucie, then he got bumped to Brooklyn, then he got bumped to, and then he got bumped to Binghamton, then he got bumped to uh, Syracuse. So yeah he pitched a lot in a lot of different places. and
1: It's a weird year for him. Yeah. He's definitely a name to keep an eye on, though, for, like, uh, future up-and-down bullpen stuff.
2: Yeah, he definitely seems like a guy that will be one of those, you know, 27th man on the roster during a doubleheader, whatever. Mm-hmm. That kind of...
1: Be up for, like, two weeks and then back down and then up and then back down. And, you know, you know how that goes.
2: Get those air miles. So, yeah, overall, a whatever week. And the AFL is almost over, which is crazy. It feels like it just started. we are finally going to get to the good stuff now. Syracuse and Binghamton out of the way. And this week we are going to discuss the 22, 2022 Brooklyn Cyclones season. And first, the first first, yeah, first half um, wasn't exactly kind to the Cyclones. They were 30 and 36 in the first half. They ended it. 13 games behind the Aberdeen Ironbirds and they were in fourth place out of six in the South Atlantic league North, but things were much better in the second half. They went 40 and 26. They ended the second half in first place, two games ahead of the Hudson Valley Renegades. And then they played Aberdeen in the playoffs. And unfortunately they lost in that best of three series. Um, they won the first game, pretty commanding fashion, eight to one. But then they lost game two, six to one, and then they lost the deciding game five to four. So that was the end of their season. But they went 11 and nine in April. So things started off kind of well. But then they went nine to 14 in May. Not great. 14 and 15 in June. Could have been worse, but still was not, you know, wasn't even 500. Then in July, things started going good for them. They went 14 and 10. And then in August they went fifteen and eleven. And then in September they went seven and three. So clearly the Cyclones were a second half team. Mm-hmm. And that can be attributed attributed to all the prospects from St. Lucie who got bumped from low A to high A, either, you know, right before the second half started or right after. And there were a lot of, you know, a lot of guys that were in that grouping in terms of pitchers. You had Kishon Eskew, you had Dominic Hamill, Luis Moreno, Christian Scott, Carson Seymour, Mike Vessel, Nick Zwack. They all got to, um, they all got sent to Brooklyn mid-year or so, and put up decent to above-average numbers. And then, in terms of hitting, there are a couple. There weren't as many hitters um, that got bumped. Got that. Got that bump up. Basically, it was just Stanley Consuegra, William Lugo, and Alex Ramirez. So, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, reinforcements.
3: I think it's fair to say that a lot of these reinforcements probably should have been there sooner. Not, yeah. not for the sake of the season, but because these dudes were uh, too good for the level they were at.
2: Yeah. Um, I want to say the like expectations were pretty high before the season started, because we thought that a lot of these guys were going to be there already. And then when they all got promoted to, I mean, when they all got a, a assigned to St. Lucy, it was kind of like, what are you guys doing?
3: And, and not to mention, like, I think I'm maybe the lowest of the four of us on Alex Ramirez, but he very clearly had little to nothing to do at St. Lucy, or excuse me, uh, no, at St. Lucy, and was just killing it there for, An extra six weeks?
2: Yeah, he got promoted in July. So, I mean, you know, a strong April and a strong May. You probably could have promoted him a month earlier or so. So, Brooklyn got all those reinforcements, and they really did not lose anybody either midseason. Really, the only two notable guys that got promoted from Brooklyn to – Binghamton were um, Grant Hartwig, Garrison Bryant, and Brandon McElwain. And, you know, the addition of all those other pitchers and those other bats, you know, kind of mitigates their losses and everything like that. Um, two guys, though, that really should have done better than they did. And you could call them underperformers, you know, whatever. But Shervian Newton and Jalen Palmer, like, they just had no success whatsoever. I think it's,
3: and, uh, as much as it pains me, is it time to stick a fork in Shervian Newton and Jalen Palmer? I'm pretty much uh, there, especially for Palmer. Yeah.
2: Basically... Palmer hit... I don't know, excuse me, Newton hit... 199, 297, 330, with eight homers, a 10.3 walk percentage, and a 35.4 strikeout percentage, which is good for a 75 WRC+. And Jalen Palmer hit 184, 318, 324, with nine home runs, 22 stolen bases, a 13.3 walk percentage, and a thirty-nine percent strikeout percentage, which is good for an eighty-four WRC+. Plus. They just did not have like that. They honestly had some of the most uncompetitive bats that I've ever seen, like any player at any level. Like they would just come up to the plate, flail at strike one, flail at strike two, flail at strike three. Goodbye. Thank you. Yeah, for they coming. Were bad.
3: I think I think all of you guys have better, let's call it eyes than I do for in terms of IRL scouting. But I f- at one point early on in Jalen Palmer's career, I think he had a swing that I liked a lot. And then since then, it feels like he's attempted to change it in order to make more contact, lost all his power and still isn't making any contact.
2: It's it's funny he led the he led the team in home runs <laughs> he still all has right, the power didn't
3: lose all his powers <laughs> maybe too harsh right but like
2: it I... just it's like his his swing is just so long and it's just yeah. once you start it's it's hard to you know it's hard for anybody to adjust their swing and his his ability <laughs> to pick up breaking balls is just not what ability good. yeah I mean he's a northeast player so those guys are already at disadvantages obviously uh covid could put a uh he lost a year of development because of covid and it just i don't know it's like he he has a good sense of the zone like he does walk a lot you know he he did have a you know 13.3 walk percentage is pretty good It's like he knows what the zone is, but when he commits on something, he just commits. And it just.
1: Yeah, he he doesn't have a bad eye. Yeah, it's just like when you throw him a curveball, he doesn't know that it's going to go out of the zone. Yeah, it's weird. Like, he'll just like swing over the top of it and Mm -hmm. he'll strike out or ground out. And then it's like, well, okay, you're not going to you're not going to be able to do much. If even if you could walk, it still doesn't matter if you could you could take a close pitch on the outside corner because, you know, it's a ball, but. If someone throws a nice breaking ball, you're going to get fooled anyway. So what does it matter? You know, like if Nimmo couldn't hit, I know this is an extreme example, but if if Nimmo couldn't actually hit, then the walks would matter less because he would hit 180.
3: I mean, this was the concern with Nimmo as a prospect for years. Exactly. can this dude actually hit?
1: Exactly. Is he just an, an incredible eye and he walks or can he actually hit? And obviously he can actually hit. He's proved it in the majors and that that is what it is. But sometimes the guys don't actually hit and the eye only matters to a certain degree because you can't just walk all the time. Like, that's just not... As as good as it is to walk, you still need to actually hit the ball, and he just Derek, doesn't. <laughs> Derek
3: Barton finds your comment defensive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> for real.
3: He's also someone, like, I, I suspect if we had the data on in-zone contact rates for minor leaguers, oh. I suspect his would be Ugly.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Just whenever I've seen him, it always looks like that, and he's always just, just not taking competitive at bats against no. high A, and he was there twice. Like he finished in Brooklyn last year, and then did the whole year in Brooklyn this year, and it was this, it was the same. Off the top of my head, it might have been a worse season, and it's just at that point, what are you supposed to do with him as a prospect? You know? Yeah. Um, you you it don't just... cut him, but i'm not ranking him
2: it's so annoying because you could i mean it's hard to see the flashes when like you see him take the at bats and you're just like ugh. but you know you look at this the nine home runs not bad 22 steals not bad the walks not bad he's a solid enough defender it's just like uh the the worst tool to not have is missing yeah he literally doesn't hit the ball enough like yeah
1: that that that's that's the the, the very short scouting report, is He doesn't make enough contact. And if you're not going to do that, I don't care about the other stuff almost because it's there's no I don't care if he has 90 grade, 80 grade power and he's going to be fucking Barry Bonds. If he can't hit the ball, it doesn't matter, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Like
1: it doesn't matter how how much power he has if he's just going to miss.
2: That's what's so frustrating about him. More so than yep. like Newton, you know, like him and Newton aren't in the same boat, but it's like I don't know I, I, I it it annoys me more for Palmer than it does for Newton because also you know Palmer's from Brooklyn. he's playing in front of his hometown crowd. that sucks even more to like just fail so badly in front of your friends and family and everything that's that it sucks for like just me watching him. I could only imagine like how much it must suck for him
1: and also and, he flashed so hard the first year
2: yeah I mean, like I, I like he he looked good in Kingsport. he put up good numbers in Kingsport and just to see just no progress. And, and no. I don't want to say taking steps backwards because I guess we don't really have enough evidence. We don't really have enough data to say anything like that, but just to see no progress and, and the level of competition rise, whereas he hasn't. So it just yeah. sucks. Sure. Well, obviously Shervian Newton and Jalen Palmer um, would not <laughs> be in the, uh, Cool for offensive MVP for Brooklyn, but there are a couple guys that qualify. So, who would you say was the MVP for Brooklyn? You have Brandon McIlwain, who played there in the first half, and he hit 298, 389, 472 in 48 games, three home runs, 12 steals in the first <coughs> half, and he he really actually looked like a guy talking about you know Jalen Palmer and, and putting everything together and, and taking steps. McIlwain really did look like a guy that was becoming legit and turning, you know, mm-hmm. the athleticism and everything into real tangible baseball skill. So him, uh, Alex Ramirez, he hit 278, 329, 427 in 54 games in the second half with five home runs, uh, four steals, and he was one of three 19-year-olds to play in the league. So he definitely more than held his own as a super young player. And the stats were not, you know, they don't jump off the page at you, but they were not bad either. Um, You have in the mix Stanley Consuegra, who hit 239, 309, 381 in 56 games in the second half with five homers and two steals. And his numbers definitely don't jump out at you. But he really had some of the loudest contact of anybody on that entire team. You know, outs are outs, sure, but loud outs. And Maybe the last guy you could put in the pool uh, would be Jose Peraza. He hit 271, 356, 400 in a team high 115 games with eight homers, four steals. And I think at this point, I mean, I have to probably like sit down and look at other guys. But I think at this point in career, he probably leads the franchise in games played as a Cyclone. He's with them for the whole year. <laughs>
1: feels like he's always there. Yeah,
2: he was Has with them.
1: he that long? How old is
2: he was, Jose Perosa? he was with them in 2019 when they were in the Penn League. So yeah. he was there for the entire season then.
3: Oh, played... okay, so it's not the same level. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah, it's right. been, it's a weird reason. It, it's yeah, 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 Followed them up the ladder. He played with them in, at the end of 2021, where he got promoted, and then he was there all season this year. So it's 186 games in total as a Cyclone, so. He definitely should get a uh, a plaque.
3: <laughs> well, now how many of us will forget to rank him this year?
1: <sighs> I he don't. He might sneak in at the end. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know if he's. It depends on what, how many people they trade away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. For too. for major league help too, it's hard to say that right now.
3: When they trade half the system for Otani.
1: Yeah, I me mean, like I don't care who's.
2: Don't put him 10. I don't care. Oh, it's on easy. <laughs> Jose Perro is the number one prospect. Ugh.
1: The MVP is probably Ramirez for me, just because it felt like that's when they turned the corner and started getting good.
2: Yeah.
1: Like, uh, I don't know. Just that was he came up and he was on fire when he first came up. Mm hmm. And they, they were winning, like, all the time, and that was kind of, like, the precursor to them winning the division in the second half, and everything was him, as he led the charge for that, for the second half Cyclones being really good, and that's why they made the playoffs. so. I
3: think that's fair, even though my spicy take is preferring Consegra, Consegra, Consuegra, whichever. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think Thomas is right.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's I, I don't disagree. I think it's just, it's between him and McElwain, I think. I
1: mean, yeah, Ma- I think McElwain was better. But I also yeah. think MVP is a narrative award, just as that much is, as it is. Because MVP is not just sorting the war. Like, that's never how the award is, and really how I, in my opinion, how it should be. I think it does a little bit of disservice to what it means. Like, because, to talk about major leagues for a second, like, Otani did what he did again and it was amazing but the season was about Aaron Judge. Like when when you in 10 years from now you're this is going to be the Aaron Judge 62 home run season. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's why he's the MVP for me because it's a different it's part this is as much as it is a sport and its numbers and stuff it's also entertainment and narrative and stuff and that matters a little bit not a huge amount but it matters enough and I think Ramirez takes it through that. Wow. For me.
2: That is not saber of you at all, Tom. No, it's
1: not because I feel like you could go too far in in that and just go on Fangraphs and Baseball Reference and click War and sort by that and be like, well, there's MVP and that's boring.
3: I mean, the, the, my my philosophy has always been like, if the dude's within one War, you can make an art like or one to one and a half. Don't be giving it to Miguel Cabrera because he oh, want a triple course. crown over Mike Trout. But
1: I of agree course. with you
3: on the judge versus Otani situation. Yeah,
1: like give it there's, to the judge. There's levels. So it's like David Wright and Rollins is a good example of the levels uh, of too far in the uh, other. Uh, where it's not Wright's fault the Mets collapsed. He was amazing. But Rollins won it because the the, the Phillies came back and they took the division away from the Mets. Oh, and oh, God, he didn't deserve it, but he I got it. gone and here. <laughs> that's too far in the other direction, because that's the one that always makes me think in that way. But um,
2: there's a middle ground to it, I think. Don't disagree. Um, all right. So now, in terms of pitching. Um a lot more choices, I think, for pitching MVP. Obviously, we know that my mom Park, formerly MCU, formerly Keyspan, very much a pitcher's park because the wind blowing in from right fields from the beach. And basically, like every year except for like two years in their 20-year history, the team has had like, you know, above average uh, team ERA. I think it was like 2015 and 2018, like the only years where like, they weren't. One, two, or three in terms of team ERA. Um, basically, nine pitchers through more than fifty innings, and of those nine, five of them had ERAs under four, three of them had ERAs under three. So, when like thirty-three percent of your starting pitchers are posting ERAs under three, it's not not uh, not bad at all. So, first up. In this pool would be Nick Zwack, who got traded to San Francisco. He had the lowest ERA among all Cyclone starters with a 184 ERA in 63.2 innings, with 44 hits allowed, 16 walks, and 72 strikeouts. And obviously, he's not on the system anymore, so it doesn't really matter. But just to really put that into context, you know, 184 ERA in 63.2 innings with all those strikeouts and everything, that would put him on the same level with those extremely dominant short season guys. The the Marcos Molinas, Louis Mateos, the Hansel Robles, the, the Brad Holtz, all those guys that, you know, were legendary Brooklyn pitchers. Nick Zwack was on that level for the time that he was, you know, in Brooklyn. So that's pretty cool. But now he's in San Francisco, so
3: let's not let's not relitigate the yeah. Darren Ruff <laughs> trade again.
2: Are you sure you <laughs> don't want to
1: talk about under team control Darren Ruff? Uh. <laughs>
0: I'll
3: just reiterate that Nick Zwack has one of the most lefty-sounding names ever, and I'm glad. I hope he has success as a lefty at some point. Yeah, bring coming out of the bullpen, Nick Zwack.
1: It is yeah, like right he's right gonna right. be like a 29-year-old rookie. Yep, because <laughs> he's already or the Detroit Tigers, <laughs>
2: who I are still bad
1: in five years.
2: I could also see that. Uh, Next was Dominic Hamill. He had a 259 ERA in 55.2 innings, with 35 hits allowed, 25 walks, and 74 strikeouts. You know, command issues are kind of problematic, but he does strike out a bunch of guys. Um, Louis Moreno, he had a 269 ERA in 77 innings, with 61 hits allowed, 23 walks, and 70 strikeouts. And you know, he did allow a bunch of a lot of hits. I mean, seventy seven innings, sixty-one hits, that's basically almost, you know, a hidden inning. But he is a sinker ball pitcher, so a lot of balls are gonna be put in play. And he's also basically like a two pitch sinker curveball guy, so that is a lot of strikeouts with just kind of two pitches, but it is also high A, so you know. Um Garrison Bryant, he's another guy that's been in Brooklyn for like years, it seems yeah. now. He probably has the team inning or uh, t- team uh, record for most innings pitched, but this year he had a 318-year in 65 innings with 57 hits allowed, 19 walks, and 58 strikeouts. He got promoted to Binghamton midseason. Um, Carson Seymour, who also got traded to San Francisco along with Nick Zwack, he had a Solid 368 ERA in 51.1 innings with 45 hits allowed, 12 walks, and 65 strikeouts. And in terms of, like, stuff, he might be, like, the best of all these guys. You know, he he's very much a prototypical power pitcher with a good fastball, good slider, solid changeup. But whether or not he just flames out or just kind of becomes a reliever or does become a, a decent starter, who knows, so... Uh and then lastly is Junior Santos. His ERA was not good. He had a 4.47 ERA, but he did lead the team in innings. He pitched 116.2 innings and he did uh strike out a team on 105 batters, but he did allow 126 hits and he walked 44. So
3: really still on the Junior Santos train here, huh?
2: He also looks well, I mean,
3: like he's
1: 27 and he's not.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think that he, I, I, he, he definitely is not team pitching MVP, but he did lead the team in, in innings and he did lead the team in strikeouts. So, okay, I guess you kind of have to put him. and he is the youngest by a large margin of all of these guys, other guys.
3: I think for me, it's Hamill. And yeah. that may just be because I'm predisposed towards liking Dominic Hamill. Uh, but I think he was the best of the guys who's still on the team.
2: Yeah, he also is a situation like Ramirez, where he mm-hmm. came in the second half and and he he, and he, he did
3: not have a great start to the season. Like he really improved towards the tail end at uh, Saint Lucie, and then after his promotion, he was quite good. So,
1: yeah, it was like a good season of growth for him with a strong finish, and that was nice to see.
3: Soon to be traded for a new president of baseball operations, possibly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely. I could definitely see him being traded, and then turns into like somebody really good because the Mets just don't know what to do with him.
1: And My rules uh, in the major league team too. They're gonna have to make some trades.
3: My dominant reliever uh, projection is still there, even if the bold prediction uh, uh, didn't uh, pan out there.
2: Yeah, I mean, the stuff is... It definitely is reliever stuff if nothing else works out, so it is definitely a possibility. Dude needs to just fix his command.
1: And, like, if the Mets really want to start doing... Dodgers East stuff. It's you turn those guys if they do fail into relievers quickly and just let them go.
3: <laughs> let turn them him into um, the Evan Phillips.
1: Exactly because it's like every year it's it seems like that just make guys out of nowhere. And I'm like, <laughs> Evan Phillips sounds like a guy you draft in MLB The Show in 2033, <laughs> and he was their best reliever.
3: You Evan know? Phillips like, had a 1.14 ERA and was worth 2.2 wins in 63 innings. That's probably an unfair <laughs> projection for
1: him. <MLB>. Of <laughs> course. I'm not saying he's going to be Evan Phillips, but I mean in terms of uh, like the Braves do it too, and a bunch of other teams do it, where they call up usable, solid relievers, and then you don't have to have a situation where you're the Mets now where— Everyone is a free, like, they're, they're, what is, Drew Smith is one of the only guys coming back, and I can't remember who the other, like, one guy is. Everyone mm-hmm. else is a free agent, because they had to sign a bunch of veterans the le- last two years. Yeah. And they're not so. there yet organizationally, and it is what it is, but.
2: I right, for one, I'm ready for Bryce Montestaoka, Relief Ace, baby. Oh,
1: God.
3: I feel like Bryce Spontis de Oka has the Gerson Batista problem of I throw really, really hard and have nothing else, and also it's pretty straight.
1: He has better stuff, I think. He does have—yeah, yeah, it's not that
3: bad. He's he does like does the steeped-up version. Because
1: yeah. even Cause in he, the majors, I was like, oh, that's a nice that bat And then the next at-bat, I'd be like, oh, none of those were even close. <laughs> nope, this guy is—this guy is stinks! Yeah. So,
3: no, I, I, th- I think,
2: you're think right. he in order to improve, he needs to bring back the hat falling off stick every time. Every yes, pitch. every single every single pitch, every single time. I don't know if. How fast
3: was... would Keith uh, say? Oh, something offensive <laughs> oh yeah. If, oh, my God. If, if would... Bryce Montes de Oka was losing his hat every time he threw a
2: pitch. <laughs> Keith would not be happy.
1: I'm just imagining the, the booth in, like, a blowout. Either way, yeah, the Mets winning or losing, it doesn't matter. And his hat keeps falling off, and Keith's like, can you get this guy a hat that fits him or whatever? And they just talk about it for, like, <laughs> ten minutes. Uh-huh. They don't talk about the game at all, because it doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> I really want that to happen now. Me too. Alternatively, for him to keep his hat on, he could he could maybe be legally prescribed sticky stuff put in his hair exactly so i mean you can't can't have any issues with that because it's you know
3: it's like that button meme with the two choices you're allowed to use sticky stuff but your hat is perma glue gorilla glued (laughs) to your (laughs) face
2: (laughs) bryce montestoka would uh he would say that button (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um the cyclones were a good team Unfortunately they did not win championships, but there was especially in the second half a fun team. Even in the first half, I mean they were they were a fun team to watch. They didn't win necessarily, yeah. but
1: it's it's like the the problems we talked about, Syracuse and Binghamton that they're just so boring and bad. Like there's more talent in the bottom of the system. And it's that's just as what it is at this point. So mm. even even next year, Brooklyn will be exciting because St. Lucie guys that we'll talk about next week will move up and it'll just get better that way. And then there'll be reinforcements from after the draft and it kind of cycles that way. And then hopefully it'll cycle all the way up to the top at some point. But right now, I'm looking forward to the bottom half of the system. And I don't really when Syracuse and Binghamton play, I'm like, whatever, dude,
2: just <laughs> no one get hurt. Mm-hmm. And before we end this, I want you guys to do me a favor. <clears throat> Go to um, go to Baseball Reference. Oh boy,
3: we have key homework.
2: Up, <laughs> key up the Brooklyn Cyclones and arrange the team batting by OPS. Cyclones.
3: Am I doing this wrong? I feel like I'm on the wrong page here. You want the 2022 team?
2: Yeah, the 2022 Cyclones. By OPS? By OPS. Oh, Eduardo Westbar hit two eighty six for them. <laughs> and why am look I, at
3: why am I failing to get to the page where I could sort by APS, APS, OPS? God damn it!
2: I don't know how common this is. I mean, I don't feel like it's it's happens too often. But look at Jose Perroza's stats and look at J T. Schwartz's stats. It is crazy how almost nearly oh wow identical. That's crazy.
3: Yeah. I still can't find the page to sort by OPS. What yeah, the hell is I'm wrong with that? I, 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 how'd you get to the stats? Uh, I just went up,
1: I, I went on baseball reference. Then I uh-huh. just typed Brooklyn Cyclones in the search bar. And then it says 2022 Cyclones should pop up. And then when you click on it, it gives you the batting.
3: Ah, uh, Okay. So if you search that in Google, it takes you to like this weird other yeah, page. I know.
1: Which Is uh, is it the page with all of the Brooklyn Cyclones? Uh-huh. In the yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I know. He played three games. I don't even remember (laughs) one second of that. He did good, though. Yes.
3: Gregory Guerrero, a.k.a. the we tried to sign Vladito and failed, but we got his cousin. (laughs) We tried, but with prospects.
2: It is. It is the we try. It it is the Bart with the you tried cake. That That is
3: frightening with the Schwartz and Perosa. Mm
2: -hmm. I don't
3: think I've ever
1: seen
2: that before. They're, for anyone who's still listening, and obviously you know you, you can't see what we're seeing, if you look at their stats, almost every single stat that they had is virtually identical. From at-bats, to hits, to RBI, to, to steal stolen bases. Ripples is only two st- different ones. Yeah. yeah. Two separate. Their OPS is separated by one hundredth of a point. Yeah. Their average their batting average is separated by two hundredths of a point they had an identical op OB fee, identical slugging percentage it is they both grounded into eight double plays they both got hit by seven pitches Jesus they were, we're both s- intentionally walked one one time apiece, which is crazy because you know again identical uh, uh, intentional walks don't happen a lot in the minor leagues it it's just really weird
3: i've I've gone further down this rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, to see how similar their dimensions were, and they're not very similar. But here's a question: Who weighs more, Jose Perosa or JT Schwartz? Oh, Jose Perosa. Perosa. Jose is <laughs> listed, at, well, first, JT Schwartz listed as 6'4, 215. So, like a, a lean boy. Jose is listed at 1 249.
1: Yep. <laughs> he looks it too. Ah! Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Look, he's it's not like a... He's like a built two for Like, he's a big dude. Like, Ken, he's in we the need box. need you to
3: come up with a sequel to Oompa Loompa.
2: <laughs> I'll start <laughs> thinking about it now.
3: <laughs> Workshopping around a <laughs> bit. <to get> <laughs> oh,
2: boy. All right. Well, that's fun. Yep. That is our show for the week, so... If anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can <clears throat> follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seipa. Lucas is at Vlahos 343 Ken is at KenLavin91. And Thomas is at s z n subscribe to the podcast wherever i got your podcast from rate and review it and of course we thank you for listening and we'll be back next week so until then love the mets love the mets